Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me, as always, is David Meyer. And joining us tonight is St. Ambrose student Braden Lavin to go over this free agency frenzy. Start with David. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. And Braden, how are you? I'm doing good. All right. And we're going to get right into NFL free agency. It's really been pretty crazy so far. A lot of big names going to different places. And also a lot of big names that are still at home waiting for that contract. We're going to go ahead and get started with the team that, in my opinion, has had one of the best off-seasons, I would say. I mean, they spent a lot of money, and they no- they normally don't do that. And that's the New England Patriots. And just to go over a few of their signings, they've signed Johnny Smith, Matthew Judon, Hunter Henry, Henry Anderson, Kendrick Bourne. The list goes on for them. And, David, we'll start with you. Are you surprised by these big splashes, all this money that New England spent? Yeah, I was I was definitely surprised. I I had a feeling they were going to be a little more aggressive than usual, uh, especially on defense, but I did not expect them to just be throwing money left and right. They've gotten a, a decent number of the top free agents in this free agency class, and they could be really good. Yeah, I really do think they can start to compete within their division and also if you're Tom Brady you have to be probably a little upset that's the one thing you wanted was the Patriots to spend money and now they are that you're gone um Braden what about you are you surprised by this yeah usually you see Bill Belichick and that and the Patriots not spending so much money on fresh faces and keeping around those veteran guys and keeping them around for one two years until they're good and let them go sign big contracts somewhere else so I've been surprised to see them spending as much money as they have especially after one year of being out of the playoffs and not being that dynasty we're used to. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to compete next year. Yeah, and for me, I'm shocked by it. Um, I thought, yes, they're going to make some signings, look to bring some people in, and I don't think they're done yet. I think we'll see some more depth pieces signed there, and I don't expect anything huge from them, but after seeing what they've done, I'm not going to say. It's not a possibility. But when you look at some of these guys they have brought in, it's a lot of high upside guys. When you look at, we'll start with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, both very good tight ends in the league with high upside. We've seen good play out of both of them, but I think we can see better in New England. The two tight end set, something Bill Belichick's like to run within New England's system. And also, you look at Kendrick Bourne. He's a guy that was a receiver three, receiver four in San Francisco during his time there, undrafted free agent that has really flourished. Now he has a chance to go to New England, and when you look at that receiving depth chart, depending on what happens with Julian Edelman, he kind of steps into that number one, number two role, and we'll see how the draft goes, but he's going to take a step forward, in my opinion, and then all the defense they brought in, there's a lot to like with what they've done. Very shocked by it, but I think it's the right move. Get Cam Newton some help. Last season, Cam Newton was, he wasn't great. His stats, not that great. But in my opinion, if you really watch the tape with Cam Newton, he's thrown to guys like Demir Bird and Nikhil Harry, who, I mean, they're all right. I think, I think Demir Bird's not that great. I think Harry could use a new, a new system, a new place to be in. But I think now we're finally going to see really Cam Newton take a step forward with this Patriots offense. And one thing I do want to see though, with all these weapons that they have. Please, Josh McDaniels, open that playbook up. When you had Tom Brady years ago, you were so much fun to watch. You had had coaching jobs left and right. 
this year, the last two years, New England's offense has been incredibly bland. I hope this is a step forward with that. And now, when you look at the division, they're in the AFC East there, you have a team like the Jets. Probably not going to be that good. Expect a new quarterback in Zach Wilson there. Then you have a team like the Dolphins, who went 10-6. Should have made the playoffs, in my opinion. We're very, very close. Have a young quarterback in Miami. And the Bills, who are the division winners. And were probably, they were, in my opinion, the only other team other than Kansas City that had a real shot to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. With all these moves New England's made, are they now on the same level as the Buffalo Bills? And we'll start with you, David. Uh, I don't think so. They just don't have a quarterback. Cam Newton's great, but I think with the injuries and his age, I don't think we're going to be seeing Super Cam anytime left in his career, which is really sad. He's, he's one of my favorite players, but I think just overall injuries have sapped his arm strength, and he just can't really lead an offense the way other quarterbacks can. You're bringing in a lot of new talent, especially in the tight end position. You can make some moves in during the season, and I think they'll be pretty solid, but I don't think they're at the Bills level. Yeah, I think, I think that's pretty fair to say. And before we move to Braden's response, we do have some breaking news. The Washington football team assigned Curtis Samuel to a three-year, $34.5 million deal. He's going to follow his old head coach and Ron Rivera over to the Washington football team. And we'll get into him in just a little bit here. But back to New England, and are they the same level as the Buffalo Bills? What do you think, Braden? Um, I'm not sure. I don't think you can ever count out Bill Belichick in a season. I think he's one of the greatest coaches of all time, and he's going to always find ways to have his guys compete and win. New England had the most opt-outs of the 2020 year last year, and they had eight, and two big ones were Hightower and um, Chung on the defensive side of the ball and getting those guys back along with their signings that they had. I think they can really make a run at it. I don't know if they're quite at the level of the Bills. I think they're better than the Dolphins at this point right now, but I just don't think you can ever count Bill and the Patriots out of a division race, especially when Josh Allen had a great year last year, but Bill got to watch exactly what he was doing and exactly what the Bills were going to do. So now he's got a full year to kind of build up his scheme and find ways to beat teams. And I don't think they're quite there yet, but I think they could definitely make a run at it. Yeah, in their division, it got a lot tougher this offseason. I mean, Miami kind of came out of nowhere last year. This Jets team, it's not going to be the same Jets. not going to be the same. Sorry, Jets. I mean, this team's going to get better. Uh, Robert Sala, I think he's a great. He's going to be a great head coach. He's going to get everything out of those players. And then with Buffalo, I mean, you know what you get with Buffalo. You have one of the most fun quarterbacks in the NFL to watch. And then arguably a top five, top ten receiver with Stephon Diggs, who has just flourished with Josh Allen and being a true number one. Are they on the same level as the Bills? I'm going to say no based off roster standpoint. I don't think they're there yet. I mean, yeah, they went and spent a lot of money, but Buffalo's a lot of homegrown talent, and it's a lot of guys that have been around the league. You have some a lot of veterans there. With this team in New England, it's a lot of veterans, but they haven't been with each other very long. This is going to be kind of a hodgepodge. You're putting a lot of, I wouldn't say stars, but a lot of really good to elite talent together, and I think they can contend within their division and the Patriots still have that scary, they're still that nightmare team within this division. I mean, they dominated it for 20 years, 
they still have a little bit of that, okay, we can't beat these guys mentality with those other teams in the division. But I just don't think they're on the same level as the Bills, but I expect them to contend. I expect them to be a lot better. And Bill Belichick, when you look at what they did with Tom Brady in his last year there, they didn't have very much offensive production whatsoever. It was strictly very good defense, top two in the league defense. I think we're going to see him get back to that. He has a pass rusher again. Trey Flowers walked. They've been missing that pass rush. They have Judon now. I think the defense is going to be a lot better. And it's really going to be on McDaniels and the offense. If they want to contend, it's going to be those guys. And when you look at this situation, bringing in all these players, we've all three said so un-Bill Belichick-like. I mean, it's, he doesn't do it. He doesn't spend money on guys, especially not his own guys, just these guys that from different teams. Do you think that this is a response to Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl? He leaves his first year at the new team, heads straight to the Super Bowl, and a team that Belichick has kind of struggled with in a way, the Chiefs, they've given his defense fits and takes them out and makes it look pretty easy. Is this in response to that? What do you think, David? I don't think so. Bill Belichick, to me, doesn't seem like the type of guy who's worried about what other teams are doing as they build their team. He's more worried about what he's going to do with his team and the only time he's worrying about other teams is when they're coming up on the schedule. So it doesn't seem like a response to me. It's just him adapting to what his team had available to him. They had a ton of cap space, and they spent it. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think Bill Belichick would. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't very pleasant for him to watch Tom Brady win a ring without him his first year out. I'm sure it didn't leave a good taste in Bill's mouth but I mean I don't think it's anything to worry about or he needs to worry about I think he had a lot of money to spend he spent it in ways that I think he improved his team and made them better and that's that yeah and I do like both your points but I think it is I I really think it's in response to Brady and when I look at it I get 100% what you guys are saying Bill Belichick does not come off as that type at all but this split between Brady and Belichick started with with Jimmy Garoppolo and all that this has been that divorce was it was coming back in 2016 2017 when Garoppolo was there they kept it going a little bit longer and then obviously Brady takes off I don't think Bill expected Tom Brady to go and win a Super Bowl and I'm, I'm not gonna say I thought the Buccaneers would go right to the Super Bowl and win. I didn't expect that either. But the fact that the Patriots severely fell off while Tom Brady went out and succeeded somewhere new, that's been the biggest argument in sports for the last 10 years. Is it Tom Brady? Is it Bill Belichick? Who is bringing the success to New England? And Bill Belichick's about to show the league why it was why it was him. And yes, Tom Brady, greatest quarterback of all time. He's proven he can do it with a new team. Bill Belichick's now going to show why why he is the greatest coach of all time and that he can do it with a quote-unquote new team with all these new free agents and without pick 199. So is a response to Brady, I I think him winning that Super Bowl, Bill Belichick said, hey, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to change the way I build a team and we're going to go try to win a Super Bowl. And how fitting would it be to see Bill Belichick on one sideline of the Super Bowl, Tom Brady on the other next year. 
if you're Bill Belichick, that'd be a dream scenario for you. You, it's we'd finally get the answer. Who was it? So I think that's something that Bill would love to see. And now we're going to move to the NFC North, and we're going to move to the Green Bay Packers. A move I didn't expect, didn't really think I'd see coming. Aaron Jones re-signed with the Green Bay Packers on a pretty lucrative deal, uh, more than the franchise tag would have been. And we'll start with you, David. Are you surprised by the move to bring back Aaron Jones? I'm not. Actually, last week we were talking about where guys are going to go in free agency. I had him going back to the pack. Oh, I hate that rhyme. <laughs> um, but I'm not a huge fan of the move. They they need to help Aaron Rodgers, that whole narrative, which really I don't buy into. He has a lot of talent around him. They need, with this uh, re-signing of Aaron Jones, they've kind of boxed themselves into what they already have. And I think that's not a good move. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty surprised by the move, honestly, especially considering last year's draft they picked A.J. Dillon in the second round to kind of fill in that void with him, and now they didn't pick up or sign Jamal Williams. So it was very surprising to me, especially when you have LaFleur, who came from the Shanahan system, where you don't need a great running back to succeed. You see Kyle Shanahan and uh, San Fran take Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., and turn him into 10 touchdown guys in a season. Like You don't need big-name guys to succeed in that offense when running the ball. And the Packers have a very good offensive line, so A.J. Dillon could step in and take that role. It's not taking away from Aaron Jones. I think he's a very good running back and will succeed anywhere he went. But I just don't see the need in paying him that kind of money when you have bigger needs on the other side of the ball or if you want to bring in another weapon for Rodgers. So I am very surprised by it, and it, it really shocked me that they went out and spent that kind of money on a running back. Um, yeah, this one, for me, um, it's interesting – I would say yes, I was surprised by the move. Um, I know when we did our predictions last week, I said Miami. A team to spend a little bit of money, get a playmaker there for Tua, and kind of get that offense going. They don't really have much at the running back spot there, Matt Breida, um, but I think he's actually might be a free agent, actually. Um, but when I look at Aaron Jones, he can do a lot for an offense. Receiving threat, then when you look at oh, what he can do out of the backfield, He's fantastic. I get it. I get why you spend the money on a guy like that. Am I all for paying running backs? Eh, I'm not sure. Um, normally, when you get these some of these guys, it, I guess it depends. It, you're the coaching staff. You know the player the best. But when you get a guy like Zeke, I pounded the table for Zeke Elliott. said, pay him, pay him. And ever since then, he's not really been the same. You look at Todd Gurley. Christian McCaffrey played, I believe, three games this year. Uh, Alvin Kamara responded very well. It's a situation where they knew keeping Alvin Kamara around was a must, especially with Drew Brees, a guy whose arm talent isn't as great. So they use Alvin Kamara a lot. So, yeah, I'm surprised. I want to see how they use him. Um, I thought Braden made some great points about A.J. Dillon. And getting him in the second round would signal, especially when you go backup running back, backup tight end, that signals to me, okay, we're getting depth to save money later. That's not the case here. You're keeping them both. And then you let Jamal Williams walk, which, okay, yeah, I get. But if you could have developed Dylan better, kept Jamal Williams under contract, who's who signed a pretty cheap deal with Detroit, and then drafted, get a late-round running back, I think you could be successful at that. But I was surprised, but I will say, I think this move was in response to Aaron Rodgers. If you didn't bring back Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers already said in the NFC Championship game, hey, 
I'm not happy. We need to start getting some stuff done. And David made a great point about Aaron Rodgers and his weapons. I think he's been had some of the best weapons throughout his whole entire career. And that doesn't that doesn't go unnoticed by me. When you have guys like Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Jermichael Finley, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, James Jones, Devontae Adams, you have all of them throughout all your career. You have at least one or two of them on your roster the whole entire time. You have weapons. But I think it was the Packers worried that Rodgers would really get upset and start to demand a trade. We've seen Deshaun Watson demand a trade. We saw Russell Wilson get frustrated. I think that's what it was in response to. And now looking at the move in general, we talked about why are we surprised by it? Was it the right move? If you were the Green Bay Packers, would you have made that move? David, we'll start with you. Bringing him back? Yes. I think bringing him back was definitely the right move. But the money, it's a lot of money, and you really kind of boxed yourself in. You're not going to be able to add to your defense, add depth pieces, maybe get like a true number two guy uh, beside Adams for your wide receivers. They they really can't do that now. Yeah, I, that's a great point. My goal would have been to go get a number two receiver. Um, obviously, they... They were restricted free agent, uh, Bob Tunyon. They were able to retain him. I think they put a second-round tender on him, so he's not going to go anywhere. They'll get him back. But getting a second receiver, especially with this wide receiver market right now, we're seeing wide receivers not getting paid. Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, they're sitting out there in the open market right now because they can't get a contract they want. I think we're going to see several one-year, $8 million deals. Juju... He was a guy that a lot of people projected to get upwards of $15 million. I think he's more likely going to be a one-year, $8 million guy. If he's lucky, $10 million. And I can't, I don't see what team would do that. And if you're the Packers, that's something you jump on. You get Juju, Devontae Adams together, have a backfield, A.J. Dillon, Jamal Williams, two guys that you do like. The organization said they do like. I would like that a lot. Um, especially if I'm Aaron Rodgers, or even Emmanuel Sanders, who signed to Buffalo for a one-year, $6 million deal. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers would really like Emmanuel Sanders as the number two. So I don't, for me, I probably wouldn't have done it. I know a lot. Of, he's a fan favorite, but for me, he was a late-round running back that you developed, and Braden made the point. If you're going to follow that Shanahan system that you came from, you just produce the running backs and move on. Matt Breida, undrafted running back, they trade him for a fifth-round pick but right before his contract was up. That's what I think Green Bay is going to have to do, especially when you need to fill other positions. But they have some guys willing to restructure. So, And, Braden, do you think it was the correct move? I'm going to stick to no. I just yeah, To read your guys' points, I, just, I don't see a need to pay a running back that much money when you have – and you're in a system where you don't need a top running back, especially when Aaron Rodgers has – doesn't really need a running back because he is a great passing quarterback. You need to go spend that money on people who are going to catch the football because Scantling has a history of dropping passes and he isn't a liable number two receiver. You need a guy who's going to step in there right away and compliment Adams and make that offense more dynamic. So I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, say no. I don't think it was the right move. Yeah, and speaking of Aaron Rodgers and being a guy that doesn't necessarily need a running back, we look back. Aaron Rodgers won a Super Bowl with James Starks and Ryan Grant as his running backs. I think he would have been fine uh, without there. And now looking at Green Bay as a whole, after this signing, 
and the other moves they made, the restructures, all that. Is Green Bay still the top of the NFC North? Has anyone done anything to try to dethrone them? We'll start with you, David. Uh, I don't think so. The Bears are kind of stagnating, haven't done much. Same with uh, the Vikings and the Lions are just, they're the Lions. They haven't done too much either. They brought in Jamal Williams, but that's it. No, no big splashes from the NFC North. So unless something drastically changes or the draft is crazy, I think it's as much as it pains me. I think the Packers are still on top in the North. Yeah, I think the only real threat to them right now is the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings have been okay in free agency this year. You know, they have Dalvin Tomlinson and they have Daniel Hunter, but I don't know if they're quite on that level as Green Bay is, so I mean, overall, the North is kind of a weaker division outside of the Packers. I mean, the Vikings are that middle-of-the-road 8-8 eight and eight team that's going to, they're going to compete, but I don't think they're necessarily a playoff contender yet, but, so I don't really think this move has an impact on if the Packers are going to stay on top or not. I think with or without Jones, they're still the top dog in that division. Yeah, uh, I'm, I agree with both you guys. Green Bay is still top, the NFC North. Um, it's, it's because no one else has really done much for me. Um, there's been some good signings. My favorite move out of everyone in the NFC North so far actually was Michael Brockers getting traded to the Lions for a seventh-round pick. That's extremely good value for Michael Brockers, a veteran defensive lineman. For a team that Detroit, I think they expect that they're going to kind of somewhat compete this year with Jared Goff at the quarterback position. Otherwise, you wouldn't bring on that type of contract for a quarterback. So I think they expect to they expect to uh, exceed expectations. But Green Bay is still that top dog, and I think they will be until Aaron Rodgers decides to move on. I mean, you have the Bears. They still need to figure out that quarterback situation. Um, but if they get a real quarterback in there, they're a team that can really start to attack the top of the NFC North. 2018, when they're able to get Mitch Trubisky to have his career year, there they go, take the NFC North. And, yes, Aaron Rodgers were hurt, but they definitely still would have gave them a run for their money. Detroit, young rebuilding team. Probably only going to sit around six wins, six, seven wins. And then Minnesota, like you said, middle of the pack team. I mean, sometimes, some seasons, they'll get a couple extra wins, get to that 10 win mark, hit the wild card round, and get knocked out from there. Unless they play the Saints, then they'll beat them. But that's really all you're going to see. I think Green Bay stays atop. And now we're going to move to the San Francisco 49ers. They've had quite a busy offseason so far. They were able to retain their fullback, Kyle Juszczyk. They make him the highest-paid fullback in NFL history. Once again, same contract as before. Then they also bring back Jason Barrett, their starting corner for last year, on a one-year, $6 million deal with some incentives. Then they get their big fish back, Trent Williams, the left tackle. A lot of teams wanted him. They come out on top, make him the highest-paid lineman in NFL history, just above David Bakhtiari, which we will get into in just a little bit. And then the Niners go out and sign Samson Ebicom, a depth ed rusher for them, as well as their new starting center, Alex Mack. And now let's look at first these guys that were re-signed. Juszczyk, Jason Verrett, Trent Williams. Was it imperative for the 49ers to bring these three back? We'll start with you, David. I think bringing at least two of these guys back, Juszczyk and Trent Williams were the big moves, uh, especially Trent Williams. He's probably the best offensive lineman in the game right now, offensive tackle uh, specifically. And 
the 49ers did not have a great uh, offensive line. I think keeping him makes that offensive line instantly so much better. And we've seen some of the moves. I think they they could have a pretty solid offensive line. Hey, yeah, I think all three of those were must signs, in my opinion. Trent's a top two tackle in the league, like David said. And Kyle Juszczyk is extremely underrated. Everybody says that was an overpay for a fullback, but... They probably haven't watched a game where Kyle Juszczyk is leaking out of the backfield and catching a 40-yard touchdown pass. Kyle knows how to use him, and he's very important in the run game and even in the pass game, and he caught a touchdown in the Super Bowl. One of the only fullbacks to do that. So, I mean, it was he's a very important piece to that offense, and Kyle knows how to use him, which is going to be important for the next season. And Jason Verrett played very well down the stretch for the Niners and really helped out that secondary that was banged up with injuries. So I think all three of them were must signs, and I think all three of them are great signs. Yeah, um... I think it was key to get those three back, and I actually think they have one more, in my opinion, that is a guy I'd love to see re-science, Kwan Williams, their slot cornerback. That market right now is a little stagnant. He's a guy that I'm, eh, I'm weighing kind of if he needs to be in that re-sign, must re-sign, but for me, I'm leaning towards yes. When you look at Kyle Juszczyk, he is. He's a unicorn. I mean, he does everything for the 49ers. He's the best blocking fullback, best receiving fullback in the league, best fullback in the league and when you look at how Kyle uses them it is in so many different ways Kyle's offense is non-positional football he has guys at every single position that can line up everywhere you see Kyle Juszczyk getting handoffs you see Brandon Ayuk getting handoffs Debo Samuel getting handoffs George Kittle getting handoffs then all four of them are receiving threats as well they do everything he that's how he likes to that's how Kyle Shanahan likes to employ his offense do everything and when you look at Kyle Juszczyk, when you have a fullback that can line up slot right and catch a 40-yard pass on Michael Kendricks in a game that decides the NFC West, I, I think you should re-sign him. And then Jason Barrett, his play got consistently better. And what a great story. Really, what a great story. I think he they had to bring him back. They only had um, one, only two or three corners under contract, none of which saw the field last year. So getting him back, Emmanuel Mosley back, but for me, Verrett was such a good deal. Um, I believe the cap hit's only going to sit at about $5 million for the 49ers, if not a little less. Good deal for Verrett to now prove it again and head into free agency next year when the cap's going to be up. And Trent Williams, uh, man, uh, as a Niners fan, I, I was waiting for that one. Uh, I was losing some sleep, sleep over it. This morning, I woke up about 6 o'clock, checked my phone, saw it, could not go back to sleep. I was up the rest of the day. I was so excited by that move. Trent Williams, he's a Kyle Shanahan favorite. And I wasn't too worried about him leaving because he knows that he has a team that, when healthy, can contend within the NFC. And also, he has the coach that drafted him. He wants to stick with Kyle. And now his career is going to end, the San Francisco 49er. Huge deal for him. And not to mention... I really do think the pettiness of Trent Williams is the greatest. It's the greatest thing for agency so far. So to give a little background to that, Trent Williams wanted to be the highest paid tackle in the NFL, and he is the highest paid tackle in the NFL by $10,000. And David Bakhtiari made sure to let him know that and called him petty in a tweet as a joke. But Trent Williams becoming the highest paid lineman in NFL history, he definitely deserved it. And now looking at some of these other moves, Ebucom, Alex Mack, that offensive line now, they finally have that elite center that they need. Offensive line, like David said, much better. Does this 
help the 49ers get back to that 2019 form. It, it does. I think Alex Mack was a, a really important piece to sign in, the, in free agency. I'm not sure if it does fully return them to 2019. It's going to be, is your team healthy? And how have those injuries, how have those guys who have been dealing with injuries, how, have they, how are they going to rebound in the offseason and coming into the season? That's going to decide how good the Niners are this season. No, I absolutely think they're going to be back to their 2019 form after this season. They got guys like Bosa, Kittle, and Jimmy G all coming back off injuries who played a massive role in that Super Bowl run they made. Uh, with Ebucom now on the other side, with D Ford, when he comes back and plays healthy, he's going to complement Bosa very well, and I think he'll have a big year along with Armstead up the middle. Kittle is top two tight end in the league. He's a tremendous blocker. He can beat you down the field. He's really a unicorn at the tight end position, in my opinion. He's revolutionized that and is a huge piece in that offense. And Jimmy G gets a lot of hate, but I think he's a terrific quarterback for the Niners system. And you didn't see him lose a lot of games when he's fully healthy with Kyle at the helm. So I think they can make a really deep run in a really tough NFC West division. But even if they come out as a wild card, I they're not a team to sleep on. They'll be very dangerous come playoff time. Yeah, um... Does he get back to the 2019 form? It's tough because 29 this 2019 49ers team was, in, in my opinion, the best team in the league. Um, the, I know they didn't win the Super Bowl against Kansas City, but I mean, for other than the final six minutes, they mostly dominated that game. They held Patrick Mahomes to a very bad game. I don't. I'm not sure they get right back to 13 and three, but with this team they currently have, and I'm considering a healthy roster here, back to 12 and four. I think it's very realistic. Back to the top of the NFC West, I think is realistic. I this offensive line, it starts there. Jimmy Garoppolo's had some injuries, and he's also been playing with a closer to t- closer to twenty than top ten offensive line for most of the time there. Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey have been phenomenal, but the interior of that line hurt, banged up, changes every week. They finally now can have some new faces there that are going to play. Alex Mack has missed very minimal games over his career. Plugging him in there, Alex Mack followed Kyle Shanahan from Cleveland to Atlanta, now to San Francisco. Alex Mack's perfect for the system. Trent Williams, he was with Washington, now comes to San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. Lakin Tomlinson, the left guard position, I think is he's an underrated left guard. I'd say probably top 15 left guard in the league. Um, I think he actually is a lot better than people think. The right guard position has question marks. Mike McGlinchey, I think, is going to be a guy that's going to continue to improve as this line gets better. It's all about keeping Jimmy G healthy. When he's out there, they win. If that's what they decide to do with the quarterback position moving forward, they do still have that leeway to change things around. But keeping him healthy moving forward, I think, is key. And I think they can get back to top the NFC West quite easily because when I look at the NFC West right now, still a fantastic division. One of the best in football, if not the best. When you look at the offensive lines of all four of those teams, I think San Francisco has the best one now after these signings that they've gotten. Defensive line-wise, I think it's between the Rams or 49ers for the best defensive line. And obviously, the Cardinals with J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones make a heck of a run at it. But the interior of that Cardinals line is where I give it a different direction. The Rams and Niners are so strong on the inside and outside that I give it to one of those two. But they like to win. From inside the trenches, it's all about health for this team. A healthy 49ers team 
goes right back to the top of the NFC West. Injuries plague them again. We could see the struggles. One thing, one positive to look at, though, is the struggles they had this year. They still were contending for that wild card for most of the year, even with missing Bosa, even with missing Garoppolo, George Kittle, all those big-name guys, Richard Sherman. I think health is the biggest factor with them. We're going to now take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They continue to make huge moves to keep this team together. Drew Brees, the New Orleans Saints, finally hangs up the cleats and is heading to the booth. And the Bears make a big splash at quarterback. Stay tuned. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer and as well, Braden Lavin, tonight on the show. And we do have some more breaking news. We have first the Seattle Seahawks. They make a trade to add to their offensive line. They trade a fifth-round pick for Raiders guard Gabe Jackson, getting Russell Wilson some protection, trying to keep him happy. And also the Minnesota Vikings add to their secondary. We just talked about the NFC North teams not making some splashes. And I think Patrick Peterson can be under the definition of a splash. Big name corner there, 30 years old. Still has some better days ahead of him. But now we're going to get back in to our topics here. We have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They found a way to retain Shaq Barrett at $18 million a year. Chris Godwin on the tag at $16 million a year. Levante David on, a, I believe, a two-year deal. 12 and a half a year for him and Rob Gronkowski on a one year 10 million dollar deal they brought back everybody can the Tampa Bay Buccaneers now run it back in quotes to the Super Bowl they they have a chance to it's with any any uh, team running it back is easier said than done this team was kind of put together at the last minute and it showed a lot of looks that people didn't have on tape. So it's you. there was kind of the element of surprise. It's something we saw with the Bears in 2018, and people get kind of adjusted to it, and they know what to look for. So I think they have a very talented team. Their defense is underrated. It's going to be how do they adjust to other teams adjusting to them. And as always... Is Tom Brady going to stay an ageless wonder? Yeah, I think they, they have a good chance. I know, like David said, it's hard to for a team to go back-to-back. Back. You saw the Chiefs do it, but you saw them really struggle in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, I think they have a really good shot. I think they're probably one of the top favorites in the NFC. But you see guys like Shaq Barrett, who signed for, I think, 16 million, $17 million a year, which was very low, in my opinion. I think that was a sneaky good signing for them. And you get back one of your franchise uh, backers and da- Levante David, who's very good on that side of the ball. Godwin struggled down the stretch, so that one kind of surprised me that they spent the tag on him. But, I mean, when he's good, he's very good, and he's a great weapon for Brady. So, I mean, they all they certainly have all the pieces in place, but it's are they going to be able to win again? And any team with Tom Brady leading them, like David said, I think is going to have a good shot. So, I mean, I have them as one of my favorites to win the NFC in the weaker division now that Breeze is gone and the Saints are in cap trouble. So, I, you know, I think they have a really good shot. It's just whether or not they can execute the plan. Yeah, and I think they can get back there. Um, the NFC in general, not that I think it's going to get weaker. We've seen a lot of the top teams – have to make some cuts and some make some moves to free up some cap space. Look at teams like the Rams and Saints. I don't think they're going to get considerably better. I think they kind of step back 
they were kind of the top of the NFC. I think they take a step back into the kind of the mid-tier of the NFC. It's going to be those guys that found ways to retain everybody that are back to the top. And I think Tampa Bay is going to be, in my opinion, I think they'll be right back to the NFC Championship game because, like I said, it's Tom Brady. He's going to get there. He's going to be successful. He's going to do well. When you look at it, though, let's say they do get back to the Super Bowl. We've had a couple. We've had three teams this last decade get back to the Super Bowl after winning it the previous year. New England, and they went on to lose. And then when you look at the Chiefs, they went on to lose. Seattle, they went on to lose. No teams won back-to-back Super Bowls since. Tom Brady did it in 2003 and 2004. So I guess if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be him. But I think they can get. I think they can get back there. This team's so talented, and they found a way to keep everybody. Pretty much, um, there's a few guys, a few role players that they didn't bring back, and their center retired. But they have found ways to, I'd say, get better. They still have all their draft capital. It's not like they were trading away a bunch of picks to get these guys. I mean, these are guys they had. This is, you could call it homegrown talent. These are guys that have been around for a while. Shaq Barrett, they got from Denver on a very cheap deal. He panned out really well. Chris Godwin's a guy you drafted, panned out pretty well. Levante Davids, a guy that's been a Tampa Bay Buccaneer and will finish his career a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Rob Gronkowski, obviously, that that's just the perks of signing Tom Brady. You get Gronk with it. It's a package deal. I think they can run it back. It's going to be difficult to to kind of fix that trend that we've seen of Super Bowl winners getting back and losing, but if anyone's going to do it, it will be Tom Brady. And now, looking at this front office, they found a way to retain all of these guys at pretty good dollar amounts for everyone. I think the only one I'd say you could call, I guess, overpaid would be Chris Godwin. I think you probably could have got him for a little bit less on the contract extension, especially with how receivers in this market is, uh, this market are not getting paid. But the cap space shrunk considerably this year, and they found a way to retain all these guys. Do you think that's just a great front office move to bring everyone back and and what we talked about earlier, run it back for Tom Brady. I mean, do you think that's just smart front office play? Yeah, for the most part. I think you're not like locking yourself into anything too long-term. You're not jeopardizing your long-term future for, the, for right now. Obviously, I think some of these guys still have, you know, there are shorter deals, so they could go on and still hit that big payday. But it's... The team is still here, and there are, like you said, some some guys they didn't bring back. I think those are still going to be important, adding to those skill positions. Just you can never have too many good wide receivers or too many good running backs. So continually adding there, possibly via the draft. Yeah, I think it's part, part of the... Uh... Part of it is the front office willing to sign these guys and keep them around. I think the other part of it is having guys like Shaq Barrett and Tom Brady sign these deals that aren't the highest at their position and taking cuts to bring everybody back. Shaq Barrett signed a deal for $17 million and the highest paid is upwards of 20 over 20 And like Miles Garrett, I believe, is the highest paid DN. So you have guys like that that are willing to play for this team and to want to keep like the core around and taking these pay cuts and that's how Brady made his money in New England he took pay cuts he was never the highest paid quarterback and he let 
uh, Bill Belichick and them keep the guys around. That's what he's doing here. Signed an extension, took less money to keep these core guys around. So I think it's part of the front office being willing to open up the checkbook, but also the guys buying into wanting to play in this system and for these coaches and for the front office. I think it really takes both ends of the spectrum to make something like this happen. And they both cooperated well and got every one of their core players signed back. So, Yeah, I think it's a great front office move. It started when they signed Tom Brady. They knew their window was short. It's only going to be until Tom Brady's done. He said he can play until 45. I believe his contract extension he just signed takes him to 45 years old. So why not just bring these guys back? And another guy that they did re-sign to a two-year deal, wasn't a free agent, but they extended him, is Jason Pierre-Paul. Found a way to keep another pass rusher within house there. And yes, it's an amazing front office move. Go all in. Don't be like the Rams about it when you're starting to fall off and you're just trying to reach and trade all your picks for Jalen Ramsey. Don't be like that about it. But they found a great way to keep everyone under contract. Shaq Barrett, Chris Godwin, Levante David, getting all those guys back for under $30 million cap hit this year, fantastic. And Considering Chris Godwin's $16 million franchise tag is all a cap hit. There's no bonuses, things coming out of that. Wow. That's impressive what they did. It's $14 million for Shaq Barrett and Levante David this year, cap hit-wise. I think it's fantastic. Keep Tom Brady in a position where he can get to the Super Bowls because he really has done a good job over his career of actually winning those. So I'd keep on sending him there. Keep these good teams around him and... It's smart, but it also is what you have to do with Tom Brady. When Tom Brady signed last year, it was going to be, okay, wherever I go, you have me for three years. We are going to win a Super Bowl and maybe more, but let's load this team up. You can worry about the cap after I leave, and I bring you a Super Bowl, if not a few. And talking about some of those role players, one guy that has not come back yet, Antonio Brown. And him and Tom Brady have a very good friendship, lived together a little bit in Tampa Bay when A.B. first got down there. Is Antonio Brown next on Tampa Bay's free agent signing list? I think that definitely he could come back. Uh, Just looking at the cap space they have, according to what I'm looking at right now, is around $9 million. I don't think he's going to want to sign for $9 million. I think he probably wants more than that. And you also have to think Leonard Fournette. Do you want to bring him back? He was very good for you on kind of a very cheap deal. So it's how much are you willing to pay the guys that are still planning on leaving? And can you get them back cheap? If he was willing to sign for a cheap amount, I would absolutely bring him back. In seven or eight games, I believe, he had 45 receptions for near 500 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, that's pretty good for a third, fourth receiver, depending on how you look at their tight end situation and where he is on his target list. He's got a great uh, friendship and on-the-field chemistry with Tom Brady, and it looks like he's handled his off-the-field issues and there's no more distractions. Bruce Arians spoke very highly of him. I think everybody in that building likes him and wants him to come back. If he's willing to take a pay cut like everybody else is to keep him around, I don't see why they don't bring him back. He had a great year, and I can—I mean, he can be a great receiver, and he can elevate everybody around him, and he can be good for Godwin and Mike Evans. So I don't see a problem with signing him if he's willing to come back for a cheap amount. Yeah, and one thing that I 
escaped my my mind when talking about Shaq Barrett earlier. I thought you guys just real quick made some great points about Shaq Barrett getting him back for so cheap. Um, a lot of people don't realize Shaq Barrett two years ago had 19 and a half sacks, and you talked about the contracts of Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, two highest paid pass rushers in the league. Joey Bosa the last two years combined had 19 sacks, and then when you look at Miles Garrett, he's had 22 sacks over the last two seasons. So 19 and a half sacks, and then I believe he had only about eight this year, but he also had almost eight on the playoffs, just in general. And no, those don't go towards your regular season stats. But just an interesting point there when it comes to Shaq Barrett and how sneaky of a deal that was. But to Antonio Brown, I think realistically you can fit him under your cap. It's going to be very tough, but you can do it. It's going to be it's going to have to be a couple year extension though. You're going to have to move that money around, move the cap hits around, play with it a little bit. Is AB going to get signed? I think that's 100% to Tom Brady in my opinion. Tom Brady has a lot of say within that organization. He will decide if Antonio Brown will be back. If I had to guess, I would assume probably after the draft. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon here. He's, they're probably going to look to address the receiver spot because they do need to find somebody. I can't expect them to bring back Chris Godwin on a long-term deal if he continues the struggles he had this year. So will Antonio Brown be back? Um, maybe. I think they can make it work with the cap hit. One thing you have to look at, $9 million of your cap space has to go towards your draft picks. So right now they're in a very tough spot. But they realistically, I think they could work up a deal with him, a two-year deal, where his cap hits under $3 million this upcoming season. If they can make a couple moves to free up that money, A.B. will be back. I think Tom Brady is his number one choice. And now continuing to look at the NFC South, it got a lot weaker as Drew Brees, the Saints quarterback, retires after a long, illustrious career with the Chargers as well as the New Orleans Saints. And now looking at this Saints team, losing Drew Brees is obviously huge. I mean, that's your starting quarterback the last 15 years. He's number one in, I believe, three statistical categories um, when it comes to passing records all time. Can the New Orleans Saints recover from a loss like this? I think they can. Their defense isn't talked about enough. And if, if you had seen Tom Brady play... As and you watched him, he was not all that great this past season. He was not the Tom uh, Tom Brady, the Drew Brees that uh, we've seen throughout his career. He was pretty good, but there was a lot of trusting his receivers to get yards after the catch, and that's that's a really nice thing to have. But you can do that with other quarterbacks, so I think they're in actually a pretty good spot if they didn't have their whole no cap thing yeah I think it's it's gonna be tough for him I mean I Breeze was on a decline and I think everybody around him kind of saw that he couldn't push the ball down the field that's why you saw a lot of screens to Camara and with Mike Thomas out and he couldn't push the ball to him at all I mean it's gonna be tough but I don't see Jameis or Taysom stepping in and making them better or elevating them to a level where they can compete I just I don't see any of them being the franchise guys that they, that Jameis was supposed to be or Taysom Hill is perceived to be. I don't think that they're going to elevate the guys around him like Breeze did. So I kind of see him taking a step back. And like David said, the cap situation's not looking good for them right now. 
They have a good defense set, but they just lost Trey Hendrickson. So, I mean, there's some big losses on that side of the ball. And I think Marcus Williams, too, I don't think they brought him back. So, it's going to be tough for them. And with the quarterback situation looking a bit foggy and they don't have a good draft pick to move up and get one, I don't I don't see them really getting any better. Yeah, um, I would say if the Saints' only loss was Drew Brees, absolutely. They could recover from that. I, it's not a we're missing Drew Brees, we're all of a sudden going to drop from a top NFC team to a bottom NFC team. Because, like I said, Drew Brees was struggling quite a bit, and it was obvious. I think that's what made this retirement pretty easy one for him. But when you look at all these losses that they've had, then it starts to be like, oh, wow. I mean, this team's taking some hits. Um, I think... I think they can recover from it, but I don't expect to see the Saints fighting for that one seed with the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think you're more likely looking for probably a two to three wild card spot, especially if they stick with the quarterback situation they have now. A two to three wild card spot there, I think, is realistic for the Saints. And if you're Saints fans, a year after losing Drew Brees, still getting back in the postseason, I can't complain about that. Um, I mean, Obviously, haven't got to the Super Bowl since, I believe, it was 2009. Um, so, uh, I think they can recover, but they're not going to be the same Saints, but not because of the loss of Drew Brees. And now looking at the quarterback situation in depth here a little bit, you have to pick. You're starting quarterback for the Saints week one if you're Sean Payton. Jameis Winston. Okay. No doubt. No doubt. Uh, Taysom Hill is is Okay. Uh, I think he's more kind of a, a gadget guy than a full starting quarterback. I I really like Jameis Winston. I wish the Bears had uh, gotten Jameis Winston in free agency. He's high risk, high reward. Lots of interceptions, but lots of touchdowns. So when you have talented receivers, he's not going to make them as good as they would be with Drew Brees. Drew Brees was just a, a whole nother talent. But Jameis can get his receivers the ball effectively. Wow, as a Bears fan, my bar is so low for quarterbacks. <laughs> so low. But I I'm I go with Jameis there. Yeah, I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna go with Jameis. Um I mean, he was a decent guy for in Tampa. I mean, his last year there, he had 33 touchdowns, and he had 30 picks, but that's not great. But he also threw for 5,000 yards. I mean, the guy has what it takes to be a quarterback, and I think with a year under Sean Payton and a year behind Breeze, I think he has a system in place. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he can step in, and he can fill a role. He's not going to be Drew Breeze, but he can, I mean, he can sneak him in, and he can do good things with the ball if he turns if he limits those turnovers especially with weapons like Mike Thomas and Alvin Kamara I mean and they have a great offensive line in New Orleans he doesn't have to go out and throw 40 touchdowns he can be a 20 to 25 touchdown guy and they can win games and like David said I think Taysom is a gadget guy I've never seen him as a starter I won't ever see him as a starter in my opinion I just don't think he has what it takes Jameis is I believe he's younger than Taysom Hill is too so I I think you give Jameis a shot I think he I think he has what it takes. He's just got to limit the turnovers. And if he does that, then, I mean, they're in pretty good shape and he might work his way into a long-term deal there. Who knows? What the Saints need to do is they got to revolutionize the game. Two quarterback sets. (laughs) Do it, Sean Payton, you coward. Do it. (laughs) 
and when I look at these guys, I, I'm with you. Pretty easy to me. Jameis Winston. And to talk about Taysom Hill a little bit. I saw a lot of people on Twitter say that Kyle Juszczyk was overpaid. Taysom Hill is Kyle Juszczyk but can throw. So imagine paying 10 to $11 million more for Taysom Hill. But to go into Jameis Winston here, interceptions are something that comes with Bruce Arians' offense. Uh, it's known to happen. Let's look at Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time. Threw 12 interceptions last year. That was the most interceptions he's thrown in a single season in 10 years. Interceptions happen in Bruce Arians' offense. It's also why he threw for 40 touchdowns, which is his most he's thrown since 2007 when he threw 50. It's how Bruce Arians' offense works. I think Jameis Winston got a bad rap in Tampa Bay. He was number one pick for a reason. At Florida State, he did really well. Comes to the NFL, has his struggles. But when he was struggling there, Tampa Bay was a bad team. Obviously, his last year there, they were a better team, but they were not what Tom Brady got to walk into. So, for me, I want to see Jameis get this start in New Orleans. You have the receivers around you. And also, they're going to make some moves this offseason within the draft. Obviously, cap space, they're not going to make any free agent moves. One loss for me that I think would have been key to keep for Winston would have been Emmanuel Sanders. They had to let him go because of the cap. Very reliable third down receiver. Good guy out of the slot. It would have been real nice for Jameis to kind of have him as a check down. But one thing I want to see, I think Jameis Winston can finally turn Mike Thomas into more of a deep threat wide receiver. I mean, he's not going to burn you vertically, but a guy who can start to hit some of those deeper routes, I think he was limited by Drew Brees to his nickname, Slant Boy. So I think Drew Brees helped <laughs> with that, but I think Jameis Winston is going to help him out. Now, last thing we're going to get to before we go to our second break here, Drew Brees has been debated for years where he ranks among the top quarterbacks in the NFL. You have Peyton Manning, you have Drew, uh, Drew Brees, you have Joe Montana, you have Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, John Elway, Dan Marino. The list goes on. Quarterbacks in NFL history. Drew Brees walked away with nearly every passing record, but Tom Brady will likely take all of them on his way out. Peyton Manning did the same thing, retired with all the records. We're going to go through the Mount Rushmore of NFL quarterbacks. We're going to go one through four, one by one. We'll start out with number one. Who sits as your greatest quarterback of all time on your Mount Rushmore? That is a tough question. Uh, I'm going to go with... Oh, I had the name in my head, and it's gone. Uh, Brett Favre. Just pure arm talent was incredible for such a long time. It it was the worst being a Bears fan. I, I think it's just always the worst being a Bears fan. Um, but... Just so much arm talent and arm strength and just throwing the ball all over the place was a really a, a great thing to watch. And I think that's part of how uh, passing became more prominent in today's NFL. I'm going to go with uh, Tom Brady. I think he's just he's never been a gunslinger. He's never I mean, he's had 50 touchdowns, but he's never been that type of quarterback who's going to go out there and throw for four touchdowns on any given night he can do it but it's not his thing I think he's a winner he's got eight or seven Super Bowl rings for a reason uh that's why I'm gonna have him at my number one spot yeah for me I'm rolling with Brady um Tom for me when he retires he's gonna have all the records 
He's going to have the most Super Bowls by a few. I believe it's Montana with four. Brady now has seven. And it's very likely he might even get eight. Tom Brady, for me, has been a guy that a lot of people wrote off early. And he walked into New England. And a lot of people forget really how good Drew Bledsoe was. He was a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback year in and year out. Tom Brady stepped in and turned the Patriots into a Super Bowl team, which Bledsoe got to a Super Bowl but couldn't beat Brett Favre. So for me, it's Tom Brady. Everywhere he's gone, now that you can say Tampa Bay, he's been successful. And every single year, he's just found a way to get better. And for me, what separates him from the rest is how smart he is. His football IQ is off the charts. And that's why he's been able to last this long and why he's probably going to be able to play until he's 45. Now we look at number two on that Mount Rushmore. David, who do you have there? I should have put Tom Brady at number one. I forgot he existed for a second. Um, that that was a good reality I lived in for a minute. Uh, but Tom Brady, you guys pretty much said it all. He is, as of right now, the greatest quarterback of all time. That could change in 10 years from now. But sitting right now, he's the best that there has ever been. Yeah, for number two for me, I'm going to go Joe Montana. I think he was Brady before Brady, and Brady grew up idolizing him, but he kind of revolutionized winning. I mean, he was kind of like Brady. He was doubted, third-round pick out of Notre Dame, wasn't really supposed to come in and be the guy, and he comes in, and he turns the Niners into one of the more historic franchises, wins them four Super Bowls, three Super Bowl MVPs, I believe. And, I mean, he's just he's an overall winner, and he's just like Brady. He's never been the... Never been the guy that's going to push the ball downfield 50 times. I mean, they didn't throw that much in his time. But, I mean, he just knew how to win, and he willed his team to win. That's that's why if it had Tom Brady never existed, Joe Montana would go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. But, unfortunately, Tom Brady came in, and he was a winner. So, Yeah, I'm, for number two, I'm going Joe Cool, too. Um, Joe Montana is a guy that, um, like you said, a lot of people wrote him off. Uh, Notre Dame, he was too small to play quarterback in the league. He gets there. And he takes the Niners to the mountaintop. He goes up against the Dallas Cowboys, who have been this dynasty for decades in the 70s. And the Niners just couldn't get past them. He finally gets them past them, ends the Cowboys dynasty, takes on the 80s, where he wins four Super Bowls, wins an Offensive Player of the Year, wins two MVPs, he goes to the Pro Bowl eight times, an All-Pro three times. And Joe Montana, you look at his career record, 117 wins, just 47 losses. I mean, the guy just won. He was called Joe Cool for a reason. And when you think of the San Francisco 49ers, you think Jerry Rice, Joe Montana. And Joe Montana, for me, he really, he was the guy that kind of, for Tom Brady, you brought up a great point with Brady. They're kind of the same. Tom Brady was actually in the crowd as a young boy for the catch in 1982, the NFC Championship game against the Dallas Cowboys. Tom Brady was there. It's one of his favorite stories to tell um, to the media. Grew up a Niners fan because Joe, and like you said, idolized him. He turned into a modern-day Joe Montana, and I think he did a great job of it. He he turned Joe Montana, what Joe Montana would look like in today's passing game is what we see with Tom Brady. So I think uh, Joe Montana's a good second there, and and up until about five, six years ago, I had Joe at one. But, I mean, it's hard to argue Tom Brady now. Now we're going to go to our third Mount Rushmore quarterback here. And, David, who do you have? I think this one is going to be where I put Drew Brees. Just 
the longevity of his career and how dominant he was up until just the very end where we saw him kind of fall off pretty quickly. Like you said, he holds a bunch of all-time records. He was one of the first quarterbacks to throw for 5,000 yards, and then he just kept doing it again and again. He's one of the best quarterbacks that's ever played, so I'm going to put him at number three. I'm going to go with uh, Peyton Manning. Um, When he retired, he had the records. Uh, He had 539 career passing touchdowns. He had almost 72,000 passing yards. Uh, That 2013 season with Denver, he had 55 touchdowns, and he kind of turned that franchise back around and took them to two Super Bowls, won one, lost one. That last year he was in Denver is a struggle. He only threw nine touchdowns. I mean, that kind of hurt him. But overall, I think just throughout his career, he was just a guy who was – he was a thrower. He was kind of was like uh, Marino. He just knew how to throw throw the ball, and he almost threw 50 touchdowns in 2004. I mean – he was a high interception guy early on in his career and kind of turned that around, and he was a low interception guy. I mean, he was just a winner. He got two Super Bowls for a reason, so that's where I'm going to put Peyton Manning. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Sheriff, too. Uh, I got Peyton Manning there. Um, Peyton Manning has been the guy that um, throughout his whole entire career, he came in, kind of dawned as the next big thing, like Andrew Luck was, like Trevor Lawrence is now. That's what Peyton Manning was, came from a – Archie Manning's bloodline obviously it's his dad Archie Manning quarterback for the Saints and he took on the league and if it wasn't for Tom Brady Peyton Manning would go down as the greatest quarterback of all time by far Tom Brady really set Manning's career back all the times that he beat him I mean you look at what Peyton Manning has when he retired like Braden said had every single record 71,000 passing yards 539 touchdown passes 14-time Pro Bowler, 7-time All-Pro, 2-time Super Bowl Champion, 5-time MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Walter Payton, Man of the Year, another Offensive Player of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year when he came back from his neck surgery. He has, I, I don't know if there's an accolade that is not there for Peyton Man. He's got everything. And I, I truly believe if it was not for, for Tom Brady, Peyton Manning would go down as the greatest quarterback of all time. And before we get into our fourth and final Mount Rushmore quarterback, we're going to take a quick break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will show you that fourth quarterback, reveal our final Mount Rushmore piece. Stay tuned. Welcome back into Sportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer, as always, and our guest tonight, Braden Lavin. We're going to go ahead and finish up our Mount Rushmore of NFL quarterbacks. We've gone through one, two, one through three. Now we're on to number four. David, who's your fourth quarterback on that Mount Rushmore? I'm putting Peyton Manning. Uh, you guys talked to him about talked about him a bunch, uh, so I'm going to keep it pretty short. He was just so intelligent. That's he's He was kind of like uh, Tom Brady, just the ridiculous intelligence he had for the game and how that translated so directly. Just... All all time player with how intelligent he was and how that affected the game. Yeah, I'm gonna go with uh, Aaron Rodgers, and I think this is strictly just of his raw talent that he has with the way he can throw the football around. I mean, counting nine years out of his 12 years that he started in the league, he's thrown for at least 4,000 yards. I mean, 
that's ridiculous. And even early on in his career when the league wasn't like it is now where it's a strictly passing league, he was throwing for, I mean, his first year starting through for 4,000 yards, 28 touchdowns. And then, um, you know, just went up from there. And he's, I mean, he led him to a Super Bowl, got him an MVP, or a Super Bowl MVP, has multiple MVPs throughout the year. I mean, the guy's just ridiculous with the way he can throw the ball and the way he can push the ball down the field. I mean, it's just incredible to watch him. And I know not a lot of people like to hear that, but, I mean, I think he's a great player, and uh, that's why I'm going to put him in my fourth. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go old school with mine here. And I was stuck between two, but I'm going to go with Dan Marino. And I go with Dan Marino. He's a guy that a lot like Aaron Rodgers has all the stats, the crazy arm talent. He was the young gun that went to the Super Bowl right away. He did not win his Super Bowl like Aaron Rodgers did. But that's the one thing that holds Dan Marino back. If he would have won a Super Bowl, Dan Marino is top three on anyone's Mount Rushmore. I mean, probably could have argued him up to one before Brady did what Brady did. You could have got him up to one there. 61,000 passing yards. And then when you look at touchdowns, 420 touchdowns, a nine-time Pro Bowler, MVP, player, Offensive Player of the Year. He was far before his time. His it was first or second year in the league, he threw 48 touchdown passes. That was not broken until Tom Brady did it in 2007. He did it in 1984. He was much ahead of his time. He was the gunslinger. When I like to compare quarterbacks at times. When you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, I compare him to that of like Brett Favre. Dan Marino, for me, I realistically cannot find you a guy that I think fits that well, but a guy that I think is close is Aaron Rodgers. He's a guy, he's a gunslinger. He has a pretty ball and he can fire it all over the field. And if if Dan Marino wins that Super Bowl in his second year, first or second year in the league, I we view their careers very similarly in my opinion, but that wasn't the case. But Dan Marino is my number 4. And the last topic we have on Drew Brees here tonight and his illustrious career when you look at breeze is he the greatest free agency signing of all time there's been quite a few big name guys is he the best of all time free agency signing i think it's definitely close and you can put him up there just with how synonymous he was with you think the saints you think drew Brees. that's just right away but for me, the the best or greatest free agent signing is Charles Woodson to the Packers. Just, I, I'm a huge fan of defense. The only uh, defensive player to win a Heisman Trophy and his ability to just get picks was incredible. I'm going to go with uh, Peyton Manning. And uh, we just talked about him, so I'll keep it short. But he was one of the first players to win Super Bowls for two, for two different teams. And he kind of he took two franchises that were on their way out, and he took them back up. He won Super Bowls for both of them, and he was I mean he had all the records when he retired. And I think him going to the Broncos and then bringing him in was a great move. And I think he'll go down as the greatest free agent signing of all time. Yeah, Peyton Manning's a hard one to argue, and Charles Woodson's another good one. Two really good big name guys signed there. When I look at free agency. And Drew Brees, for example, he's the one that I've heard argued as the greatest of all time. And Peyton Manning argument for me is an interesting one um, because 
Peyton Manning went to Denver, won a Super Bowl, broke all the single-season records, took all the career stats. Drew Brees did that as well. Drew Brees did it in 15 years. Peyton Manning did it in just three or four. So, in my opinion, what do you find more impressive in that scenario? Drew Brees also turned the Saints around, and he helped lead a city through a world disaster. That's another thing you have to get to Drew Brees. But for me, my free agent signing, I'm going to go with David here. I'm going to stick on the defensive side of the ball. I'm going old school. Once again, I'm going back to 1994. Atlanta Falcons cornerback Deion Sanders hits the free agent market in one of the first free agencies that ever was in the NFL. He signs with the San Francisco 49ers. They signed Deion because they need a spark. They needed someone to get them over the top. That's exactly what Deion Sanders did. He came in that season, had six interceptions, three of which he returned for touchdowns, had 303 interception return yards. His longest pick six was 93 yards. And when I look at what Deion Sanders did in the Super Bowl for them, he played a little wide receiver, which was more of a, I guess you could say, publicity thing for Deion. But Deion Sanders came to San Francisco, brought a hype to them. He brought a swagger to them. The 49ers of the 80s were... Guys, they're going to come to the game, suit and tie, always. That's how it is. Deion Sanders brought this mentality. I'm going to get an interception, and I'm going to dance around. I'm going to have fun with it. And he helped the Niners finally get over that hump with Steve Young. Steve Young had won two MVPs since Montana had left and still could not win a Super Bowl, get past the Dallas Cowboys. It was Deion Sanders, and he turns in one of the greatest defensive defensive seasons of all time. So, I like Dion. That one, another good one that I thought about was Reggie White. Uh, he's another guy that came to Green Bay and was fantastic. So, now we're going to move back in to some free agency talk here. Another quarterback, Chicago Bears. They don't get Russell Wilson, but they get the Red Rifle. They get Andy Dalton, and they also re-sign Jermaine Ofedi. And, David, I, I the, the uh, audience can't tell, but you're – it doesn't look like you're very happy about this Andy Dalton signing. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you still, though, do you like the move? No. Uh-huh. Uh, Jermaine Effetti, it's solid. It's relatively cheap. Uh, one-year extension. That's He was decent. But Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton. I would have been okay if you brought in Andy Dalton as, like, a go out there and prove it. You can compete in camp. We'll see what happens. Hit you with a low contract. But $10 million for Andy Dalton. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Ryan Pace, the McCaskies really need to look at, is Ryan Pace the guy moving forward? Because let's look at his uh, quarterback track record. Mike Glennon, that... Ooh, top tier. <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> yeah, that's just gross hearing it. Uh, Tyler Bray, Chase Daniels, Nick Foles, and now Andy Dalton. For $10 million a year. Yeah, you weren't going to get him for the three mil that uh, the Cowboys got him for, but $10 million? Really? Really? It's just desperation at that point. What I would have liked to see is what they did for kicker before they had Eddie Pinheiro or Cairo Santos just bring in everyone. 
just sign him for low and cheap deals and see see who does well in camp. Yeah, I'm done. Um, I'm going to be a little more positive here. Uh, I don't mind the move if they don't have Foles on the bench with a massive cap hit already. That move didn't make a whole lot of sense to me last year. It really doesn't make a lot of sense to me now. Andy Dalton came in this year and did okay for the Cowboys given their situation. I mean, he was okay in Cincinnati. I mean, it's not a massive upgrade over Trubisky, if that's what you want to call it. But for Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy to be on the final year of their deals and make it or break it, this is your year. You're not going to have a job in Chicago next year. You go out and make that kind of move. I give them props. They were in on Russ, and they were in on Watson. I'll give them that. But I just it was early in free agency still. I just don't quite understand why you would spend that kind of money on Andy Dalton on the second day of free agency. If your intent was to have a rookie come in and sit behind somebody, why not just have him sit behind Foles? You have him already. You gave up the pick. You have to take the cap hit if he's on the team or not. Why are you going out and signing another guy who... At this point in his career, it's probably going to be a backup from here on out after his stint in Chicago. It's just The move didn't quite make a lot of sense to me. That's not a knock on Andy Dalton. Who knows what he can do? But I just don't quite understand why they brought him in this early on in free agency with Foles on the bench. Yeah, um, I, I guess the best thing I could say is he threw 33 touchdowns in 2013. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of cool. But with Andy Dalton... He's a guy that in Dallas, I look at his numbers, and I have to think they're a little inflated because Dallas's line is pretty decent. Not that the Bears isn't, but Dallas's line's pretty good. Then when you look at the weapons, the, the weapons is really what I'm looking at here. C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup, Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott. He's not going to have that in Chicago. He has Allen Robinson, who I think, the, if you put all of them against each other, the best receiver of that group I just said. But at the same time, having three guys like that with that ability makes it pretty easy. And to only come out with a passer rating under 90, I'm not a huge fan of it. Braden made a great point. Timing is everything. And that quickly, I know Denver was in on him. I know the Niners were also in on him as a backup. Those are both rumors. But I, I would let those teams pay him $10 million a year because you already do have Nick Foles. And... One thing that David brought up was desperation. If I'm Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and I'm desperate, the the rumored offer for Russ was three ones, a third, and two starting players. Players were not named. But if I am the, the coach and GM, and I know this is it for me, I'm not going all in on another veteran free agent because they're free agents for a reason. I don't think there was one quarterback out there that it was like, oh, yes, sign him right now. Russ, yeah, try to go after him. Watson, yeah, try to go after him. You get told no by both of them, okay, it's because you're going to have to wait it out. Russ, I don't think it's traded. Watson, though, that's a waiting game that you can win. The Bears were not in a need to have to pay Andy Dalton right now. They could have waited that out to the draft. You look at some of the court, I mean, sure, you're not going to get a veteran guy, but you have Foles. And if you're really that desperate and you don't get Watson by the draft, use that draft capital to go move up, get yourself a rookie you really like. Identify a rookie, that a top-five quarterback in this draft that you really like. Use that capital you're going to use on Watson to go get him. Because then at least, yes, if you're the front office and you're gone a year later, you don't have to deal with it. But at the same time, 
you are betting on a guy that you think can be successful. If I'm desperate, that's the move I'm doing. I don't think I'm going the Andy Dalton route if I'm desperate, but I mean, I'm not, that's not to say it won't work out in Chicago. Um, I've seen crazier things happen. And I think Andy Dalton, a guy maybe getting a coaching staff that believes in him can help him out again. Cincinnati, um, he was off and on with turnovers. Um, that kind of affected him. But playoff performances were really where it got to me. I could never win one. Marvin Lewis and him really struggled. So do I like the move? I can't say I'm a huge fan this early. I mean, if it's April 10th, April 15th, maybe. Okay. You've decided that Watson's not going to get traded. It's about 10 days out of the draft. Yeah, he won't get traded. Okay. But this early, I don't know. Now looking at Andy Dalton. One year, $10 million. Nick Foles on the bench with a pretty decent cap hit as well. Is Andy Dalton the starter week one? I don't think so. It, he might be. It's it's going to be a quarterback comp- competition. There we go. If Which is which is what I would have wanted, but that didn't include paying Andy Dalton $10 million. Uh, I would have preferred to get guys for... You know, the veteran minimum, or sign him for one or two million, and like with some incentives that could bring it up to like five. There were, it. There's a lot of talk of oh he, he can know the system and he can come in and play well. That's what we saw with Nick Foles. He was supposed to be, knows the system right away. He'll get in with Matt Nagy and he'll be great. Mitch Trubisky had time to learn the system. I think part of it is Matt Nagy doesn't fully have a great system, and he needs to change to what he has on his roster, which is running the ball. If right now, like realistically, if you wanted to pay Andy Dalton $10 million a year to turn around and hand the ball off to David Montgomery, good for you. You just did that. Yeah. I uh, I I don't know. I think he has to be. If you pay him ten million dollars and you already have a guy like Foles on the bench, like we've been saying, I think he has to be. I don't know why you bring him in to be a backup. If he's gonna be a backup, why are you paying him ten million dollars? I mean, they're both gonna be bad cap hits if they're just gonna be backups. But that's what you brought Foles in to do. You traded for him to be the backup. So I just. I, with a $10 million cap hit with the incentives, like you said, I almost have to see him being the starter in week one. I don't see another way around it. Yeah, and before I give my answer to this, we do have two more signings of free agency. Kyle Van Noy heads back to the Patriots, a move that we talked about last week that we could see. And also Richard Higgins of the Cleveland Browns is heading back to Cleveland. Um, two moves that just happened. But now I'm back to Andy Dalton. Is he the week one starter? I think with Braden on this one, he almost has to be. I mean, you know what you have in Foles. You don't know what you have in Andy Dalton. What you have in Foles is not what you like. He didn't play as good as you want. Andy Dalton hasn't played yet for you guys, but you also he's also not going to be the savior of the Chicago Bears. So for me, it was just a questionable move in general. I think, like David said, they were desperate, and I think – there were some other teams going after him for a backup role, and they had to up the offer to get him because they really felt like they needed him. I think getting shot down on Russ, kind of, it was like, okay, here we go. We have to find somebody now. 
because they were worried free agents aren't going to come to a team that don't have doesn't have an established quarterback. So I, I think the Patriots bought, brought Cam Newton back right away for free agency when I think they explore some options later on. And now, looking at this move, Watson still out there. Rumors of him possibly getting traded are starting to heat up even more, which we'll get into a little bit later. Russell Wilson, they haven't said no, we're not trading him. Reports are they're listening to phone calls. Are the Bears now out of the Watson and Russell Wilson sweepstakes with this move? For me, it seems like they would most likely be. They could pull some shenanigans and make a big swing. I, I, it just, they have to. They have to still be in for Watson or Russ because, like, you really want to have your last year, your last contract, and you want to bet that on Andy Dalton? Like, just realistically, is, is that the guy you're wagering your career on? Is that the guy you're wagering your future money, your extension, whatever? I, I wouldn't be wagering it on Andy Dalton. I think you have to take a big swing, and that's Watson or Russ. Yeah, I think, to me, I think they're out. I think that move was kind of like a white flag, like we're just going to ride it out here. But the only way you can realistically bring one of those two in is if you trade off Nick Foles or Andy Dalton. But I don't see why you would even sign one of the Andy Dalton if you're going to do that. But, I mean, I give them props for making a run at Russ. I mean, they gave up 3-1. They offered three, three first-round picks and two defensive starters, I believe. To, and the Seahawks said, no, I just, I just don't think that they have a shot at that point. Watson a little more realistically, but he's got a pretty hefty cap hit, so I don't know if the Bears have the cap space to take on that kind of contract. So for me, I think they're out. I think they made a mistake by signing Andy Dalton this early, and I think they kind of are like, well, now we have to stick out with it and hope he keeps our jobs. Yeah, for me, I also I think it does remove them. And it's a strange situation because – if you're the Chicago Bears, I don't understand why you would be out on them. Um, both those guys are fantastic to add to this team. But I'm, just the Andy Dalton signing for me, now you have two veteran quarterbacks on this team. You have to find something to do with Foles. You have to wait to work around his cap hit. Now you have Andy Dalton get $10 million for backup money. And Foles, I believe, is making close to $10 million, if not a little more, on his contract as well. So both those guys now... You have $20 million at least, if not a little bit more, invested into quarterbacks right now. I just don't think realistically that you can bring in a Watson or a Russ because then you're going to be, if you bring in Russ, you're going to be pushing upwards of, let's say, $40 million to quarterbacks this year. Um, and that's just this year because Russ's cap hit next year will jump up again. Um, Seattle has to take on some of the cap hit because they do owe him money. Watson this year his cap hit I believe is only ten, so you'd be paying thirty million to the quarterback position. I just think that if that was your plan, Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson was your plan, try to go get that. And if worst case scenario, go you can draft a quarterback. I just think that would have been the route to go there, but it didn't happen that way. And now talking about Deshaun Watson a little bit, the Houston Texans right after the Andy Dalton signing, seconds after the Andy Dalton signing. Signed Tyrod Taylor, the ex-quarterback of the Ravens, Bills, Browns, and Chargers. Signing Tyrod Taylor for me was a little strange. 
Do you see this as a precursor that a Watson trade could be on the horizon? I think it opens the door for it. We've seen the Texans denying any trade. They just they are keeping Watson long term. I think this kind of opens the door and says, you know, maybe we we might be willing to let Watson go, but it's it's going to be for a lot. I think that's kind of what it uh, shows to me because there are more established backups who probably don't have the same talent as Tyrod Taylor, but you could get for cheaper and it it would just be a better fit on the roster. Yeah, I think I think they signed him for a backup because they are hoping that Watson sticks around and plays, but again... Same thing with Andy Dalton. Why are you signing a backup quarterback for $12.5 million? I don't realistically understand why you would do that if you didn't think something was coming. So I, I think Watson gets traded here soon. Um, I He doesn't want to play for Houston. I mean, who would? It's a dumpster fire over there. Don't have a lot of things going for him. I just I don't see why they spend the money to have him sit on the bench and be Watson's backup when Watson, outside of that rookie year, has played almost every single game. So it just something's coming, whether they like it or not. And I think it's going to be Watson getting traded. Yeah, for me, the contract was set up that if Tyrod is to play, he has incentivized contract. For me, that's a hey. Obviously, we hope you don't have to play, but realistically, you're probably going to go out there and play for us. So here's the contract. And who wants to go to Houston? Tyra Taylor just wants a chance to play. I mean, in Baltimore, the backup to Joe Flacco, he's used as more of a running option, a Taysom Hill-type option. Then he goes to Buffalo, gets him to the playoffs. And then he goes off to the Browns, where he's benched after four or five weeks, and I'd say more because of coaching staff than anything. And then goes to the Chargers, supposed to start week one, and because the shot he was supposed to have went wrong, he punctured his lung, no longer able to play. Justin Herbert goes out there, plays fantastic, and they can't give the job back. He just wants the chance to play. And it starts by signing a contract that you think is going to get you playing time, incentive. And for me, I think it is. I do think Watson's getting moved. How soon, I don't know. Two things the last 24 hours have really stuck out to me. One is... When you look with Deshaun Watson, John McClain, who is the head reporter of the Houston Texans, he has for months said, no way Deshaun Watson is getting traded. As those months have gone on, he slowly started to backpedal a little bit as to, okay, maybe, maybe not. He, today, he sent out a tweet and said, the Texans have not said since January we are not trading Deshaun Watson when asked about it. His take on it after he's been with the around the team for years, we're moving on. They're going to trade Deshaun Watson. And I think they're starting to realize, yeah, we're probably going to have to trade him because it's just the way it's going. And it's a shame because I believe David Coley is just a scapegoat in this situation. He's going to be there a couple years and moved on. So I think he's going to get traded here soon. And this signing of Tyrod shows that because he's going somewhere. I truly believe he thinks he's going to play. Why would he go somewhere? He doesn't think he's going to play. There's teams out there he could have went to still available where he could have played and got playing time. So I think that's what we'll see there. 
We're now going to take our next, our last break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will get into the Washington football team. They had a new wide receiver who's a familiar face for Ron Rivera and also a new quarterback to the football team. And then we get into the Arizona Cardinals bringing in some new pieces. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2, the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer and our guest tonight, Braden Lavin. And now we're going to move into the Washington football team. They're a team that coming into this offseason, we expected them to make some moves. Sitting draft-wise, just outside of that top five quarterback, top six quarterback range, they make a move, sign Ryan Fitzmagic. I love calling him that. And then they go out there and sign Curtis Samuel, a Ron Rivera wide receiver that he drafted from the Carolina Panthers. So let's look at Ryan Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel. Do you like the move of adding both of them to this team? I do. Curtis Samuel definitely uh, for whatever quarterback is the quarterback of the future. Curtis Samuel can be a great piece for them. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, either he's a stopgap, he's going to play a couple weeks, and then whoever your next quarterback is, whether that be a draft or keeping it with uh, Tyler Heineke, is if that's the direction they want to go, I think they're in a decent spot quarterback-wise, having Fitzpatrick, one of the better either bench guy, kind of fringe between backup and starter. And he's a great teacher because he's been around the league a lot. He can help if a younger guy is sitting behind him or playing in front of him. Yeah, I, I, I really like the move so far. Fitzpatrick's probably going to be that great bridge quarterback that's going to move them to the next season or later in the year if they decide to go with Heineke. Whatever they decide to do, he will be a, he'll be the bridge or he'll be the mentor to him, and I think that'll serve them very well. And Curtis Samuel, I think, is a really good add. It's a versatile weapon that played for Rivera, and he loved him in Carolina. He's the type of guy that can line up at running back and he can run the ball, jet sweeps like they do in San Francisco and that system. Um, and he's going to compliment Terry McLaurin in a huge way, I think. Terry McLaurin's that he's a great route runner and a deep threat that can beat you down the field sometimes, but he doesn't necessarily have that next uh, speed. So, I mean, that is something that Samuel can do, and compliment him in a big way so I think that was a really good add on his part yeah I, I like both these moves I like Fitzpatrick the most just because it adds to the very very long list of teams he's played for <laughs> I mean I'd love to see him hit all the 32 unrealistic but I, I love seeing him get a, to a new team and for me I like this move for him personally because I think this is his best chance to start week one as well as possibly most of the year this is his best landing spot because if they decide to go rookie QB, are they going to trade all the draft capital to move up and get one? I don't know. And if they don't do that and they take a quarterback round two, round three, when you look at Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, some guys are going to be in that area, are they going to step in this year and play? I don't know if that's your goal. I mean, when you look at the NFC East, they haven't got a whole lot better. The Eagles, in my opinion, I think got worse. And then when you look at the Cowboys, yeah, they signed Dak to a massive deal, doesn't make them any better of a team than they were. They were one and four with them last year, and then they still were around eight and eight the year before with them. So then you have Washington here who won the division, and they did it with subpar quarterback play and good defense. Fitzmagic, he's going to give you average, if not above average, quarterback play. 
I thought he provided valuable quarterback play for the Miami Dolphins this year. They would not be close to 10-6 without him. Uh, they probably would have been closer to uh, 6-10 and probably, or maybe even five wins without him. So I like the move a lot. I think it's his best chance to start. And Curtis Samuel, you guys nailed on the head. Very versatile guy. Him and McLaurin are going to be scary together. And I thought he was going to be kind of a prize receiver for somebody. And the way he just kind of sat on the market with Galladay still out there and things like that, do I love the move? Sure. I, I like the head coaching, uh, head coach and Samuel knowing each other very well. But with like Galladay out there, guys like Juju out there, I think you probably could have went a different direction, but I won't knock the move whatsoever. And now speaking, I talked about it a little bit with the NFC East, I, how I said I didn't think most of those teams got better. Where do you see the football team settling in this year? Are they still that team to beat in the NFC East? Are they still number one? I think they are still number one, but the NFC East is still going to be the worst division in football. Maybe with just the weak opponents and weak division, you can get to nine and seven, maybe ten and six, if if you're going crazy. Uh, but they have a very good defense that's young. I think they can just add to it with. They still have a decent amount of money left in cap space. They can add to their team still with some kind of low risk high-reward guys than with the draft. I think they could be a pretty solid team. Yeah, I think the NFC East is still really not great. I think they have gotten the Washington football team has gotten better. I think in, I think it's because guys love to play for Ron Rivera. I mean, he battled through cancer all year and still was there all the time. The guys rallied around him. He's always He's been loved anywhere and everywhere he's been. He knows how to coach and scheme up a defense. He was in Chicago when they had a really good defense. I mean, I think they just like to play for him, so I don't think they're going to be uh, easy out for anybody. I mean, you saw it in the playoffs this year. They took the Super Bowl champs the distance until the very end with Taylor Heineke, a guy nobody had ever heard of. I think a healthy Cowboys team, like Logan said, they were 1-4, and four, but I think they can give them a run if they play well and they can run an offense that's not running one week, passing another week. But overall, I think they're still a team to be, and I don't – think it's particularly close yeah like I said I I agree with you guys they're sitting atop the NFC East for me especially after adding Ryan Fitzpatrick I think that's a upgrade a quarterback and a major one from what they had last year and now we're going to move to the Jacksonville Jaguars obviously they're expecting Trevor Lawrence to step in and they're making some moves they're trying to get him some help first they go to the defensive side of the ball they signed Shaq Griffin to a deal. I believe it was $13 million a year. A pretty hefty deal for a corner, especially in the market we have right now. Shaq Griffin, is he worth that price tag? It's it's a lot, but right now where you're sitting with your cap, they had like 70 or $80 million going into the offseason. They still have a lot of money. The uh, The list I have looking at now, they have $43 million left. They can still pick up some pretty solid pieces and weapons. You have your kind of younger, not as much proven guys. Well, not as much. Uh, you have some guys you can bring in. Antonio Brown is still on the market. Willie Sneed is still on the market. Sammy Watkins is on the market. You can bring in 
solid wide receivers to help. I, so addressing your defense is is a smart move. I think it's I think it's worth the money. I mean, he's getting paid like a middle of the pack cornerback, which I think is where he sits. He's right now he's sitting at about thirteenth out of the cornerbacks. I think that's a pretty fair spot to put him at. It's about thirteen million a year, which and seems kind of high, but like David said, for a team like Jacksonville who has a the most cap space in the NFL, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. Um, but I think he really can help the young guys that they drafted, like C.J. Henderson last year. They drafted him inside the top 10, who had a decent year, but, I mean, overall he got picked on because they don't really have a lot at that position. So I think he can help them out, and I think he's going to make an impact right away on a defense that was lackluster last year. So was it worth the money? Maybe, but I think it's a good signing overall for the team. Yeah, for me, is he worth that price tag? No. But when you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you guys said you have money, but also you're not a good football team. You're getting Trevor Lawrence, but you're not a good football team yet. You have to overpay to get guys in the building. I'm sure he had a pretty decent market. He had his best he had a career year last year for the Seattle Seahawks with three interceptions, only six interceptions over his career. But when I look at it, you had to get him in the building, build up that defense. You got to overpay a little bit. And that's the thing about these rebuilding teams. You overpay for veterans, and then once you start to get good, those veterans are kicked away, and they go and play somewhere else. That's just how it goes. When you look at one team, uh, San Francisco 49ers, brought in Pierre Garçon. He was, they paid him a lot of money, lots of money. They move on from him. Just a couple years later, and because they got younger at the position, and they he helped develop that secondary. So I think that's a uh, wide receiver core, excuse me. I think that's exactly what Griffin's going to do in Jacksonville, and I expect nothing less of him, and he could maybe even flourish in Jacksonville. Seattle, I don't like. The defensive coordinator, I don't like. They fired him this year, and they brought in someone new. But I, the Seattle defensive scheme, it's getting a little old. People aren't as successful running it anymore. Yeah, it's easy to run with Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, and then you could put any other corner over there, Brandon Brown or Byron Maxwell. It's easy then. Not so easy when you guys you guys have injuries like Jamal Adams missing lots of games. Quandre Diggs, who is a above average to very good safety, but not Earl Thomas. Good. He's not covering sideline to sideline. And your corners are nowhere near Richard Sherman. So I think that's the case with Griffin. And now looking at Trevor Lawrence, for example, here, he needs some weapons on the offense. They went out, they bring in Marvin Jones. So now they pair Marvin Jones and DJ Chark together. Is that enough for Trevor Lawrence to come in and be successful with Jacksonville year one? Possibly. It's it's going to really be how NFL ready is Trevor Lawrence right away. But with, like I said, the amount of cap space they have and the wide receiver market as it is and the name still out there, there are a lot of kind of under-the-radar guys. T.Y. Hilton, Larry Fitzgerald, still out there. Des Bryant. It, Josh Gordon, if however that pans out. You can get some guys for relatively cheap that are very talented. Just the way the cap and this market has panned out. Even if it's short-term, you can help develop Trevor Lawrence with talented wide receivers and then go from there. 
Yeah, I think I think DJ Chark's a pretty underrated receiver in my opinion. I mean, last year he battled some injury. He only had about 700 yards, but in 2019 with Gardner Minshew and Nick Foles at the helm, he had 73 receptions for 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. I mean, that's going to be good enough for Lawrence to succeed early on. And if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's a 6'4 guy with not bad speed-wise. I mean, he's going to be a good receiver for him. And Marvin Jones, is a, I think he's a great veteran ad that's really going to help that wide receiver room. Got a lot of young guys in there, and he's going to help develop Lawrence in a good way. He's been around the league a lot, played with Matt Stafford. He knows what it looks like when you have a good quarterback. So I think that was a very underrated signing, in my opinion, that's really going to help them in the long run. But, I mean, it's Trevor Lawrence. If he's quarterback, if he's NFL ready, he's going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. So any kind of weapons that you can put around him, he will succeed, and that's what they have so far right now. And like David said, wouldn't wouldn't hurt him to go out and have a couple more low, under-the-radar signings at wide receiver, wide receiver, even tight end, running back, something on the offense to help him, and I think he'll be just fine. Yeah, do I think Jones and Chark are enough? Absolutely, because I believe Trevor Lawrence is going to come in and succeed and play well for Jacksonville. But I want more, like you guys said. And I don't know if I'm going under the radar. If I'm Urban Meyer, I had this money, you have the receiver market significantly dipping down. I'm I'm calling Kenny Galladay, saying, hey, what, what are teams offering you right now? Because I can get you down here for a little bit more than that. I'm calling Juju. Hey, come check out Jacksonville. I think you'd like it down here. Bring in some big weapons. There's no reason not to stack this offense up for Trevor Lawrence and make him successful. If Juju is going to go sign a contract, let's say for 8 to $10 million, there's no reason Jacksonville shouldn't be paying that for him. And if it only is for a year, that's fine. But Trevor Lawrence, when you have quarterbacks, the rookie year for me is such a big thing because it makes or breaks quarterbacks. That in year two, why not give him a lot of confidence in year one, get him incredibly successful, so you have so much momentum going into year two. For me, that's exactly what I'm doing. It's, yeah, it's enough, but I'm adding more weapons around him. I'm there's some tight ends out there I think they could look to add. Um, a guy like Jordan Reed, Trey Burton. Those are some under-the-radar guys, but nice pieces for your team. So that's some moves I'd like to see there. And with only a few minutes left in the show, we're going to take a look at some pass rushers here. They have been signed. They were signed pretty quickly. That first Monday, they were off the board. And some bigger-name guys went for a lot less than originally thought. And we're going to start out with the favorite signing of the pass rushers. David, who was yours? I really liked uh, the signing for Yannick Ngakwe by the Raiders. He has bounced around, and he's been pretty solid wherever he's been. But the big thing is the Raiders needed a pass rusher. They absolutely needed a pass rusher, and he fits the bill. He's going to come in and be a starter day one, play very well. And it's it's a little more than I would have paid for him. Uh, $13 million is a decent contract, but it's, it's only two years. And Yannick Ngakwe is a lot younger than I thought he was with how much he's bounced around the league he's only 25 gonna be 26 in a couple days it he's young he can still play for a while if you want to lock him up now and 
uh, for probably a little cheaper and then extend him for a while. He can he can be a good piece for you. Um, I'm going to go with Shaq Barrett. I mean, we talked about him a lot already, So, but 19 and a half sacks in 2019. He was pivotal in that Super Bowl winning run that they went on, had a lot of sacks in the postseason. Only had eight sacks this season, but he had a lot of good help around him. And they only got him for $17 million when the market for pass rushers is only going up with guys like we mentioned earlier, Miles Garrett and Bosa, that were getting well north of $20 million. So to get him under $20 million is a big add for them that he's going to be a franchise piece for him moving forward. So that was my favorite signing of the year. Uh, yeah, mine was Carl Lawson. And I like Carl Lawson a lot because he's heading to that Robert Sala 4-3 system. Um, I don't know if he's going to take the wide nine technique with him that Chris Kucerich has in San Francisco. We'll see. But I like Carl Lawson a lot. He had only five sacks in 2019, five and a half in 2020. And you think, well, that's not all that great. Just 25 years old reminds me a lot of Dante Fowler, who was very young, didn't have very many sacks, goes into a system that uses him right, and breaks out with 16 sacks with the Rams. That's exactly what I'm expecting out of Carl Lawson. He had a lot more pressures, and he's a very good run stopper. So for me, the Jets needed to get a superior pass rusher. I think they did a really good job getting Carl Lawson in the building. And now we're going to look at who will have the most success out of these pass rushers. David, who do you think it'll be? Uh, I have who you just mentioned, Carl Lawson. I think uh, the Robert Sala defense is going to really help. And having uh, Quinnen Williams next to you, who has not had a lot of help and has still played pretty well, you and they still have a lot of cap space and uh, draft picks your defense is only going to get better from here, and just the pieces around Carl Lawson, I think, are going to excel, and it's going to make life easier for him. I'm going to go with uh, Samson Abukam. Um, I think it was a very underrated signing for the Niners on a cheap deal. Uh, he hasn't had very many sacks in his career, only his highs four and a half. He had that last year in 2019, but... I feel like with the group that's around him in San Francisco with Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, uh, Javon Kinlaw, D Ford if he can stay healthy, and then you add Ebucom in there, I'm that's a deadly that's a deadly line right there. And I think he can he can complement Bosa well and create pressure off that backside. I think he's gonna have a really good year this year and it's gonna be a career year for him. And for me, I'm going with Ningakwe. Um going to the Raiders. It's a John Gruden signing, by all means. It really is. And Ngakwe is a guy that in Jacksonville was phenomenal. He was on his way to becoming one of the better pass rushers in the league. Then kind of struggles a little bit, uh, and then gets moved to Minnesota, then Baltimore where his sack numbers go down. I think he has a chance to come to Las Vegas and really, really do well. Because when you look at that line around him, it's Max Crosby and him, and Max Crosby's all right. He had a really good rookie year, but last year was really not that great. I think Ngakwe steps right in, and he's that elite pass rusher that the Raiders have been looking for. Oh, I think they might have had a guy named Cleo Mack a few years ago. They traded him. So now they're stuck with Ngakwe on a $13 million deal. But I think the deal is all right. I, I don't have any issues paying him that much money. And also getting him in the building, getting a pass rusher. It was your number one need coming into the offseason. Why not address it? I mean, they also created some problems for themselves with the offensive line. Created that They created that need for themselves, but pass rusher was something they needed, and I really liked that one. And 
Last thing we'll do here before we end the show, just real quick, favorite signing of free agency? Uh, the Bills, I'm probably going to mispronounce his name, Matt Hack, the punter. They nice. didn't have a great punter before, and the special teams is so important. Uh, the field position battle has never been more important than in today's game, and you kind of basically steal him from the Dolphins. I think it's a great signing. I'm going to say J.J. Watt for the Cardinals. I think he's going to compliment Chandler Jones very well on that defensive line and add to that defense that was pretty bad last year, and they need some big-name guys on that side of the ball. I think he's going to help them out a lot in the long run, so I'm going to go with J.J. Watt. Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with my prediction I had last week, double tight end set <laughs> New England. Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, I think Belichick's going to really like getting back to that. I love those signings there. And that's going to conclude this episode of In Sportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, give us a follow at K-A-L-A underscore U-C. If you're on Facebook, give us a like at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. Be on the lookout this week as we will post a March Madness post. You post who the winner will be, and you'll get entered in a drawing. Thank you for listening, and good night. See ya.